everyone. I'm Sophie. And I'm Petra. And welcome back to the Divest Podcast. Hey, Petra, this is our first episode back in the new school year. Yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. Um, sad that the summer's done, but actually, I'm not. I don't know what I'm talking about. I <laughs> I studied all summer long, but we're feeling good. We're feeling, we're feeling good. good. We have so many great ideas lined up for this year, so we're so excited to bring you new podcast episodes. And to start us off, we're going to start off with a really exciting bit of news. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, Sophie, but University of Waterloo, which is the school that I attend, just announced their plans to divest from fossil fuels this past summer. And coming with us to talk about it, which I'm really, really, really excited about, is Guy Brodsky, uh, who's a fellow member of Fossil for UW. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Hello, everyone. My name's Guy. I'm in uh, Environment and Resource Sustainability in the Faculty of Environment and going into my last year. So what is happening at your school right now? What's been going on throughout the summer? As you may have heard, we, we passed divestment finally. On June 2nd, there, there was a Board of Governors meeting where they approved unanimously um, a decarbonization investment strategy. The policy was uh, created by the Responsible Investment Advisory Group that both me and Petra were on. We've been kind of working on since, I guess, the start of the new year this year. Yeah, so we passed divestment. It's not perfect divestment. It's divestment from uh, production and exploration, but not transportation. So there's still going to be like Enbridge and PC Energy, unfortunately. But yeah, we, we kind of did the thing. Um, apart from divestment, it's also decarbonization. So a 50% reduction in our carbon emissions by 2030. And then uh, uh, pretty much carbon neutrality by 2040, I think, is, is the goal. And it was actually a really quick turnaround, right? The committee was put together by President Faridun uh, Hamdulakur, and we started work in January and got the policy in front of the Board of Governors by June. It was a little bit weird, to be honest, because I feel like it was maybe after a year of you know, a bit more direct action um, and, and working with like the student unions and, and getting votes passed and whatnot, I think it was a weird shift into like this wait and see moment where we kind of had the advisory committee. We were going to be exploring climate risk finally instead of just ESGs because it was like an, a formal process. It was a lot of just wait and see for six months. So that was a good, yeah, pleasant experience for the most part, though. A little bit rocky at the start. I don't think everyone really was on board with, with the idea of divestment. You mentioned that leading up to this decision, we had a year of a little bit more direct action um, that sort of transitioned into this waiting game as we were working on policy and working with the administration. During that year, which we, we, we did a lot of stuff. We talked to our student union, we got our student union on board, our undergraduate student union, we got our graduate student association on board. Some endowment funds. Yeah, yeah, we got environment, science, and math. Um, the, the endowment fund councils all voted in favor of divestment, which was huge. Um, and a bunch of different clubs as well. How do you think the balance of direct action and working with the administration plays into things? I think that you need a good mix of both. Um, and I think that you need to 
you know, in terms of strategy, you need a strong inside game as much as you need a strong outside game. Um, and what I mean by that is like you need to be protesting on the streets and any classes. You need to be giving class talks. You need to be inviting students out. Um, you need to be making relationships with the rest of the campus and, and building a sort of alliance uh, with professors and faculty as well. And so what this work does is builds it helps to build support on campus, I think, which is really critical. And it also helps to, you know, pretty much just get loud about the issue and, and bring it to the table officially without any of the outside work. Oftentimes it's, it's hard to even be taken seriously when you try to submit like an agenda item or something like that. I think administrators are, are a lot more willing to take something like that seriously when they've been told that there's like 2,000 signatures on a letter and, and like 100 retweets on Twitter and, and 100 emails that they just got the week before. So I think that that outside game is super, super strong. But then also, yeah, of course, that inside game is pretty strong as well because you can't really, like if we weren't actually part of the advisory committee, we would have been doing that same wait and see and hope kind of thing, but like it, it might not have even been included if we weren't able to be part of that active discussion. And I think that it's funny though too because with divestment, Oftentimes, administrators are happy to just wait students out and wait till they graduate and hope that things fizzle out. So sometimes, you know, after some protests, there is a board meeting and then they do, they'll do ESG, ESGs and like for maybe low carbon investing, which is what we had in, in 2017 or 2018. And then we were able to still kind of restart another round of like protests and letters and research and all of that. Um, and we were able to bring that to, again, another board meeting. We, we used some of that outside game and built up strength and, and numbers again. And then tried again through the formal processes. It, it depends on your university. Like, if you are going to be able to be heard in a meeting better than you're able to be heard outside, then by all means, like, go make relationships with your administrators and, and with key professors who might support you. Otherwise, go and, and make noise outside until they are willing to actually listen to you, I think. I think it's it's interesting as well that you bring up the fact that they the university you know board of governors etc sometimes try and wait out students <laughs> until they graduate because I've seen that happen at multiple schools and I think even I'm not entirely sure of the situation um, at U Ottawa at the moment but I know that something very similar happened at U Ottawa they made they made pretty good progress and then a bunch of the students graduated and they kind of had to start from from nothing again uh, and build from the base up. So it is interesting. And I think, yeah, it's a very common experience. And I think you see that a lot when looking back at campaigns that, I mean, the, the divestment campaign really peaked back in like 2014. We didn't really see that many divestment uh, announcements. Now, of course, the, you know, the political landscape's changing. Um, there's a lot of more pressure on institutions to do stuff about climate change. But you definitely saw that, like, these huge pushes for divestment back in the early 2010s that just kind of, like, fizzled out because the universities just didn't give a shit. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's where it's tough, but, like, it's important for these movements also to be able to lay groundwork, but also lay, like, infrastructure for being able to keep it there and keep some sort of legacy going. Do you think that that because of the the amount of schools that did decide to divest this year in some in some way shape or form do you think that there's kind of a, a social influence aspect that may be coming into effect here in the next couple of years do you think that because lots of schools have kind of started to move forward with this path that it might be easier for other institutions to push this path forward 
I would say yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think so far before this year, and apart from like UBC, just a little bit before too, I think for the most part, the Western of Canada has been in Quebec, which is not necessarily like that connected with, with the rest of like English speaking schools for the most part. So I think that now, um, for example, with Waterloo being like a big engineering school, I think that maybe, yeah, I think that other, other schools will definitely now have a lot more of a reputational aspect to their considerations of the Westmont. And I think more generally too, like 2019 was a huge year for climate. Um, I think 2020, before everything happened too, was like kind of shaping up to be a huge year. But, but with the IEA uh, Net Zero Pathways report and the new IPCC report, and the freaking shell case in the Netherlands and, and like legislation for divestment in the States. Like I think that at this point we're, we're really hitting this really cool tipping point. So even in Canada where, where we are kind of a petro state, I think that a lot of schools are going to be having to, to change the conversations that they're having around divestment. It's interesting too. I'm just reading some like old news articles from Waterloo um, in terms of like the decision around divesting and the one that I'm reading right now is just titled UW Board Delays Decision on Divesting Fossil Fuels Until 2021. And it's I, I'm just I'm kind of having a good a good cackle at that, <laughs> that it did pass in 2021. Because usually, you know, you see these articles and it's like delays decision another year, delays decision another month, delays decision yeah, another it's year. Always delay, delay, delay. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think happened since like since this article came out? Like so this article came out in October 27th, 2020. And I think looking at it, they, the board was expected to reconsider the issue after the letter that you guys put around was signed by more than 2,000 students. W- why do you think they decided to, la- to delay it? And why do you think it, it did happen in 2021 instead of 2020? Yeah, so I, I remember that I think it was even already kind of late 2020. I think it might have been an October board meeting. Um, and we had submitted this policy that we worked on for carbon neutral investment. But what, what happened was like we did actually get a lot of support, but in the end, the decision was deferred to the head of the Finance and Investment Committee. And we did see that as like a big move for delay. And luckily, though, I guess like with, with a talk with the president at the time and, and the Finance and, and Investment Committee, we were able to, to stay involved in those discussions and, and decisions and so through that advisory group i guess we actually did the thing instead like it was delayed from 2020 obviously but yeah like it it wasn't tactically like a strategic you know attempt to just not do it like it was actually them trying to you know take some time to figure out like a good way to do it yeah and we were definitely us being given a seat at the table i think also helped uh speed things along and it really did feel like they were actually trying to do something. I mean, through, through the whole process, they were impressing this idea of wanting to do something that is actually meaningful. And, you know, at the start, we were thinking, well, like, is this just a delaying tactic? But in the end, it, it really was genuine. Especially just coming from some such opposite sides of, of the table, kind of. Um, in the beginning, there, there definitely wasn't much agreement. Um, but yeah, honestly, like hats off to, to everyone who was involved and was able to overcome that and like actually work end up working together. This is my this is my journalism student habit. Um, I always want to talk about the media, but I think it's really interesting because like I was I was sitting here doing this conversation and I googled Waterloo divestment right, 
just I wanted to see what would come up. And everything that's coming up is about the board delaying. Was there anything that came out when the school actually decided to pursue some kind of divestment? And like, why is there not as why is this not a huge thing? Like, why is there not so much media coverage of this? That is a good question. Um, they definitely <laughs> tried to send, you know, news around. Uh, I think the day of that it happened, there were articles in, in our local papers, like the, the Waterloo Region Record and uh, in Kitchener, and then also this website, The Energy Mix, I think, actually had a pretty good article about it. But it wasn't really, from what I remember, I guess it wasn't really picked up by national media at all until we, we submitted an op-ed um, to the National Observer. To be fair, we did have that one big article published by the Canadian Energy Center, which was just absolutely lovely. It was like such a weird mindset and, and oh my, yeah, it was just, that, that like made me feel so good to see it. I think that was like really good validation that we like did something good to, to see the, the Energy Center crying about it, honestly. And it was, <laughs> it was weird because all they really said was that we shouldn't have divested because Waterloo has received donations from the oil sector in the past, which is like, first of all, you're not supposed to say that part out loud. You know, donations <laughs> are not really supposed to be strings attached. I want to, I want to just for everyone listening, I want to read this article title. Um, <laughs> so this is from the Canadian Energy Center, and the title reads, University of Waterloo to divest from oil and gas, but has accepted millions from oil and gas donors. Decision goes against the view of most Canadian institutional investors. What a headline. <laughs> I did. It did feel a little bit good, though, reading it and realizing that every single point they made, I could easily rebut with our most common talking points. Now that you say that, I'm going to hold you to it, and I'm going to read some of their points, and I'm going to try and get you to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Are you ready? This is the first one I found. So the first one is, I'm quoting here. The decision puts the university in the minority of institutional investors in Canada. Just 5% see divestment as an effective tool for environmental, social, and governance investing. Just one quick point is like, in Canada, like if you take out the in Canada, a lot of institutional investors, as we will see, are actually actively divesting. Including the, the you know, the, the biggest fund in the world. Uh, you know, BlackRock didn't fully divest from the entire fossil fuel sector, but... Uh, they definitely made moves in that direction. In Canada, of course, it, it's tricky because so much of our economy relies on the fossil fuel industry. But outside of Canada, like Guy said, um, there are more and more investors who are calling this a bad investment. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's the thing, too. It's it's like within the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, I think the, the energy sector is like a good almost 20% of the entire TSX. If you look at it a bit more broadly, too, and consider how much the the Canadian financial industry has also loaned and, and is associated with energy holdings in Canada, it's like kind of hard as a Canadian investor to have other things to invest in if you pull out of this sector. But I think that, you know, is just more so an argument for finally divesting and then eventually, you know, kind of convincing these people in charge that maybe we should have a, a just transition and, and an energy transition. I, I also, sorry, I'm still half reading this article, but I also see that they've they've pointed out that Queen's did decide not to divest from oil and gas, 
Uh, I believe that was later in 2020. And they, they list one of the reasons for Queen's deciding, Queen's University, I should say, uh, deciding not to do that is because they describe divestment as a symbolic and ineffective tool in addressing climate change. And I know that's like a conversation that we have a lot. And I, I think a lot of people sometimes view divestment in that sense. How do you feel about that? And, and why do you think that Waterloo deciding to divest is not just a symbolic decision? I, I would say it is symbolic, but it's also a very powerful symbolic decision. I think that, you know, globally, it's especially considering how relatively new the, the concept even is, like with Phil McKibben suggesting it pretty much in, in the early 2010s already, just 10 years later now, with globally, it's trillions of dollars that have been divested from from various fossil fuels, if not all of them. Um, and I think that that in turn has... Uh, has definitely increased like the cost of doing business. It's it's decreased their social license to operate. There's been oil and gas projects canceled for, you know, various reasons, with some among them being that it's harder to access financing for these projects because there's now insurance companies that are saying no, there's there's investment banks that are saying no. Mm-hmm. And that provides a pretty good jumping off point because University of Waterloo, the, the policy that was actually put forward, to be fair, divestment was not the main focus of that policy it comes about as a a, a byproduct of the strategy that was put forth so uh, guy i don't know if you um if you'd like to go into a little bit more detail as to what waterloo actually committed to yeah so um pretty much what it does the the first two points of our new policy are is reducing our the carbon emissions of our portfolio by 50 percent by 2030 and then getting full carbon neutrality by 2040 ideally or by 2035 at the latest and what that means is that moving beyond just the energy sector we're going to be going for companies that have been implementing their own carbon neutrality plans and their own carbon reduction plans whether in the tech sector or manufacturing or consumer goods you know generally speaking it we we've known that it saves the planet and it saves money for the most part to, to become more sustainable um, that's kind of just how the world is moving, and, and it really has to be moving way quicker considering the, the recent IPCC reports and all of that. But yeah, so generally um, what we've done is is uh, aim for carbon reductions across the portfolio, across every sector. You mentioned that not only does this sort of strategy you know, help out with reducing carbon emissions and, and making that difference that we're looking for, but it, it also saves money. I know I found that, you know, looking at this policy and throughout the whole whole process, the financial case for divestment was given a lot more weight, I think, than, than the moral case and the political case. Yeah, for sure. I think it kind of makes sense that being at a, a big institution, whether it's public education or, or like a government pension, the financial case ends up being a big part of like why decisions are made, I think. There's also like a legal requirement. It's it's your fiduciary duty if you manage these funds for, for other beneficiaries. It's your fiduciary duty to, to not make investments that might jeopardize like a, a healthy financial return. And so for a while, actually, and this is what we heard even from students and, and from students' council is that it might be breaking fiduciary duty. And so people were even worried about getting lawsuits possibly. And now the, the cool thing about like 
knowing that it it is still aligned with fiduciary duty to divest is that we know that it it doesn't actually make you money to stay invested in this sector because it just it's been underperforming like the whole rest of the market for, for a little while now i think all the meanwhile it contri- it's the biggest contributor to the climate crisis too so generally speaking i think that we we've, we've been able to show now and especially being able to to look like reference other divestment wins already the fact that it doesn't break fiduciary duty is is a big reason why i think now the the people who are more financially minded are are able to still sort of agree with with divestment yeah and i think we'll we'll do a whole episode on the financial case for divestment because i think it's a, a a very important topic that needs to be uh explored but yeah it, it it's and, and it's very powerful with especially like you know, like we were saying earlier, that Waterloo is very apolitical, so they're not necessarily willing to make the same stands that, say, Guelph has or, or Lakehead has. And so with universities like that, the financial argument lends a lot of weight. So one of the biggest questions that I have is now that you guys have achieved uh, a form of divestment from Waterloo, what are what's going to be like your next steps as fossil-free Waterloo? Like, what's your strategy in terms of moving forward and holding them to this decision right now we're we're still just taking some time to think about it uh there were some really cool ideas though at the last meeting we had one one option would be to sort of focus on on climate justice more broadly now that we don't have to focus as much on like the endowment and, and financial risk and all of that we can kind of lend, lend our efforts to, to more broader climate justice work with the community and, and other groups on campus there's also is some ideas to to actually keep focusing on the financial side of things and, and maybe do more technical analysis, forecasting of, uh, you know, moving past fossil fuels. Maybe how do you actually start to do the work of like lowering carbon risk across the entire portfolio? So that might be pretty interesting, too. There's also ideas of having a reinvestment campaign to reinvest in like community initiatives with a small portion of the funds. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because there's lots to do still. I think one of the biggest things, though, is just seeing sort of where our capacity is at after that big push and, and seeing what people are interested in. Can we make a bet on who we think the next university is going to be to divest or maybe when? Oh, oh my, my goodness. Yeah. I, think, I think maybe not like, okay, this year. This year, who do you think is going to divest first? Oh, I'm I don't know if it's going to be, be this one. year. I think I think there'll be more than one that divests this year. Not okay, this school year I should say. I should say twenty twenty one to twenty twenty three. I feel like things happen like over the school year. Like we our stuff was uh announced in the, you know, late spring. I I think Guelph stuff was announced like spring last or winter spring last year. So mm-hmm. I feel like stuff happens over the course of the school year and maybe not quite over the summer. So I would put my bet personally on like early next year uh, and probably on McMaster because oh, yeah. of the stuff that's happening with the, the president and what Moon was telling us uh, two episodes ago. Uh, but that's my bet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what your guys' opinion is. I would bet, hmm, I don't know, I think you're right with McMaster, they have a lot going on, but I also feel like sometimes schools come out of nowhere and just go, we're divesting. So I don't know. I don't know. You gotta pick. Oh god. I feel like I need to pick a different one because you already chose McMaster. So you like can chose McMaster. I won't get jealous. Don't worry. If I pick my own, am I being like mean? <laughs> <laughs> no. I think Car- okay, Carlton's gonna divest first, and then you Ottawa's gonna follow because neither of- one of them won't do it without the other. They'll both like announce it within like a month of each other because they yeah. 
don't know. It'd be, it'd be weird, honestly. Yeah, it'd be super weird if one of them did, but the other just still didn't for like two years or something. They hate to be compared, but they're literally, they do the same thing all the time. So. <laughs> Guy, where's maybe, your money? Actually, maybe Laurier soon. Because they're like a business school, but, you know, if Waterloo just did too, then maybe there's there's a better case for it. Ooh, I, I would say too, though, that McMaster is, is an exciting one to watch. Well, thanks for coming and chatting with us today, Guy. Uh, we really appreciated it. Where can people find you and Fossil Free UW? Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. They can find me on Twitter. The at is Guy in Env, like environment, like ENV. The Fossil Free UW Twitter is just at Fossil Free UW. And our Instagram as well is just Fossil Free UW. Yeah, all over social media. Check out the website to be added to our mailing list as well if you want some updates that way. In the news, you know, keep your eyes out. Maybe there will be national coverage at some point. We'll get that media coverage. We'll work on that. And Pacha with her magic skills is going to put the links to all of that social media stuff in the description of this podcast. This podcast was hosted by Sophie Price and Petra Duff and edited by Petra Duff. Our theme was composed by Jensen Lawrence. Thank you.